Well, hey, how you guys doing this morning? No, this afternoon, this evening almost at this point. You guys doing well? Ready for Christmas? Got all your stuff done? No, no. Okay, some of you, you got to get going because you're like out of time, literally. Um, I was at Kroger last night uh, after work and it was like a zoo there. It was crazy. I've never seen so many people in a grocery store at the same time ever in my entire life than the Kroger here in Tiffin. Um, but, uh, but made it out with all the stuff that my wife gave me um, the list to buy. So that was good. I've never heard of a laser heart before until like last week. I've never seen it since Sunday, or never seen a laser heart before Sunday, but um, I've, been, I've been practicing, okay, so let me just show you kind of what I got. I've had 48 hours now since I've been introduced to the laser harp, um, and so let me see if I got, let me see if I can pull this off during service here. All right, ready, set. No, actually, I'm uh, not even good at faking being good at the laser harp, okay? So, no, Christmas is here. Merry Christmas. We're glad that you guys are spending or chose to spend. I'm actually kind of out of breath. That is really bad. I'm out of shape, okay? I've just moved my hands, and I'm like... (gasps) But we're glad that you chose to spend part of your uh, Christmas Eve with us, and... uh, and we're just excited about what God is doing here in Tiffin. We've had, this is our fourth service, and um, the, the, especially last service, it was just packed out. And so really good uh, to see everybody kind of joining us and, and coming together on Christmas Eve. Uh, Christmas, all right, the Christmas story. We've all heard the Christmas story so many times. We've, you know, the Christmas story is one of those things that we've heard since we were just a, just a little kid. Right, we, We're reminded about it every year, and I think a lot of times when we hear the Christmas story, at least this is how it is for me, you know, I, I think of like that perfect night, right? You got, it's like perfect weather, it's dark out, it's nighttime, you got Mary and Joseph just getting into town, but there's no room for them in the inn or in the, in the hotel, so they have to go and they find uh, another place. Joseph's trying to do all that he can because Mary's pregnant and and uh, she's probably starting to freak out a little bit because maybe she could sense the baby is coming. And so she, they, he goes, he finds a stable. They, uh, they stay the night in the stable. And that happens to be the night that little baby Jesus is born. And, and there's animals there and they're laying down in their hay. And they lay Jesus in the manger with its fluffy yellow hay. And he's kind of got this glow about him. And and then you got angels around, and they're singing, and you got the shepherds, they come in, and they're worshiping Jesus. And then you got the, the wise men, they come in, and they're giving gifts to Jesus. And all the while, there's this, like, giant star thing above, above it, shining down on, you know, one beam of light shining down on Jesus. And Mary's pondering all these things in her heart. That's kind of how we picture the Christmas story, but that's not exactly how it was, right? I mean, we, we understand that. It wasn't the perfect night. Um, one thing I've noticed or that I've experienced now three different times is birth, okay? And, uh, and birth, uh, that's not how birth goes, okay? At least from what I've seen. Um, that night had a lot of pain, okay? There's probably a lot of yelling going on. And uh, Joseph probably thought he was in over his head 
uh, just like I thought, only I was surrounded by nurses and doctors who were trying to get me to, to wake up from passing out. But, uh, <laughs> but so, so it's not like, it's, the original version is not the version that I think a lot of us have kind of come up with uh, in our minds. And, uh, and I think a lot of times, for us, especially for you Tiffin people, you totally understand this. The original version is a lot of times better. Now, I have been kind of a part of the, let's say, Tiffin community now for, for a few months, um, and I've learned some things, okay? I've learned that you Tiffin people, you're really into the original thing, okay? Um, first of all, one of those things would be chips, okay? You guys are really into your chips, okay? You know how many times I've heard, well, the original Balrikes chips, you know, this. Personally, I really like Balrikes, and it tastes great to me, so I don't know what the original was, but... Uh, I'm okay if they stay the same, and I know some of you guys are going to be pretty disappointed in me for saying that, but, uh, but the original, the original was so much better, I've heard that. Or Jollies, right? Oh, the, the original Jollies, they were, that was a drive-in, and it was so much better. You know, the food's the same, but uh, oh, it's just, the experience was so much better. I've heard that. The original Jollies, or, or this was a big one a few years ago, I remember, the original courthouse. We have to have our courthouse, <laughs> Right? Nobody getting any fights here, okay? Some of you guys are like, yeah, yeah no, don't do that. Um, or, uh, or this is what I think. The founding fathers of Tiffin, when they designed the place and platted it all out, which they didn't know, north, south, east, and west, apparently, because um, every road's at an angle. I've looked at a map. Even the grid is at an angle. I don't understand that. But I personally don't think that uh, they planned on so many one-way streets. I think originally those were two-way streets, that somewhere down the line, the Tiffin leaders were like, now we're going to switch this up. So let's be honest, like every other town in, well, the United States, okay, the, the two-way streets, the original version, so much better than, uh, than what we are all dealing with, with the one-way thing going on here in Tiffin. And I think that's how kind of the Christmas story is, okay? The original story was so much better than the story that I think a lot of us have have kind of made up almost or, or here in our minds. And that story really starts back 750 years before Jesus was born. And it starts with a time where Israel, the kingdom of Israel, things are just not good. It's terrible, terrible, terrible time. And uh, God sends them a messenger. His name's Isaiah. And Isaiah comes on the scene. And he's like, hey, guys, I got good news for you. All right, God is going to send you a savior. He's going to send you a Messiah. That's what Messiah means. Messiah just means savior. He's going to send you a savior. And he's going to rescue you, he's going to save you, it's all going to be good. And so the Jewish people are like pumped because they're looking at themselves, they're like, yeah, we need saved for sure. We need to save, we need saved physically from our physical enemies, we need to save politically. And so that's how they view uh, this Savior. The Savior's going to come and he's going to save them in those ways. And so for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, the Jewish people are waiting for the Savior that was going to be called Emmanuel or God with us, this is what Isaiah tells us, who's going to come and save them from the world that they lived in. And it was gonna, was gonna change everything. And so one day an angel appears to, to this young teenage Jewish girl named Mary and angel says, hey, guess what? I know you've been waiting for this Messiah. I know you've been waiting for this little baby who's gonna be born, who's gonna be really the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And guess what, Mary? Um, you're gonna conceive him. You're gonna give birth to him, all right? And he's gonna be the son of the most high and you are gonna call him Jesus, and again, this is the baby that you've been waiting for, that your parents have been waiting for, and your grandparents have been waiting for, and their parents, and their parents, all the way back 750 years. 
And Mary, you're the, you're the one. You're the one who's going to give birth to him. And so Mary, she's probably kind of freaked out by this and, and doesn't understand what's going on here. And so she kind of pushes back a little bit. She's like, okay, um, I hear what you're saying, but I don't understand how this is possible because I'm not yet fully married. And because of that, I have not ever slept with a guy. You know, I've never, I've never been with a guy. And so I don't understand how this is going to all work out. And the angel says, well, the thing you don't understand, the thing you're not remembering is that with God, everything is possible, okay? The impossible turns possible, and this is gonna be a supernatural thing, and this is gonna be a God thing. But there's a problem, a problem that I feel like we, as we hear this story, we often overlook, and that is that, is that Mary isn't fully married yet. She's engaged. She's engaged to a guy named, named Joseph, and here's where the story picks up in Matthew chapter one, verse 18, it says, the birth of Jesus Christ came about in this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. And so her husband Joseph, being a righteous guy, meaning he's, he's a good guy, and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. All right, now there's some things that you gotta know. Number one, or really the main thing, is that engagement back then was completely different than being engaged today. It's just complete opposites, really. Back then, a young man and his fiance, they would get married, and uh, that would be a legal document, okay? They would get legally married to be legally binding, but they would have to wait a year after they were married to move in together and to sleep together, okay? Which would be, in my opinion, the wor- one of the worst traditions I've ever heard of, but that's what they did, Okay? So you got to wait here. You're married. Yeah, that's great. Okay. And legally, you're married just like anybody else is married, but you can't move in together. You can't sleep together. And the main reason for this was to make sure that the girl wasn't pregnant. Okay. And they have a reason why that was so important. In those days, marriages were arranged, meaning your parents chose your spouse. Aren't we glad that we've all moved on from that as a society, right? Okay. That would be a disaster. I'm so glad um, that wasn't the case in my case. Uh, And so as a parent, when you would choose a wife for your son, you'd choose choose that, that lady, and then this, your son or the groom, he would have to pay this huge price to the bride's family. It was called a bride price, also uh, kind of like a, a dowry. Um, now that I have a daughter, I don't feel like that was a terrible part of the tradition, but uh, that's gone. And this is actually something that's really practiced uh, all over the world, even to this day. We see this on every livable con- con- continent, continent. Um, except for Europe and North America. And so we see this all over the world. This is something that's still practiced in many, many, many cultures, not our cultures, but many cultures right now all around the world. But the groom and the family who are paying the price, this super hefty, large price, they want to make sure that the girl's not pregnant by some other guy. Okay, they want to make sure that that part is, is all good. And so they would wait a year they would live, before they could live together or sleep together just to make sure she wasn't pregnant. But for that whole year, they were still considered legally married. And you can't just break off an engagement um, back then like you can today. Uh, that would be, you would, the only way to do that is you would have to legally go get a divorce. And so during this engagement period, Mary shows up pregnant. It's a problem. It's a major issue in this society. I feel like a lot of times we, uh, 
We, we think about Mary a lot and, and how this affected Mary, which is, which is good and fine. But let's, let's pull out a little bit just for a moment. Let's think about Joseph for a second. How do you think this would have been for Joseph? I mean, can you imagine how painful and humiliating this would have been for Joseph? I mean, especially in this society, every, it's like a tight-knit community, tight-knit community that they, that they live in. I mean, imagine how embarrassing this would have been. I, uh, how many of you, if I were to ask you for your most embarrassing moment or most embarrassing day or whatever, that you can, your mind automatically kind of pinpoints one moment in your life? Anybody have that, like your most embarrassing moment? You're like, yeah, I know what that is right away. Okay, anybody? Okay, we got like six of you. You guys don't get embarrassed much. That's good. Or maybe you just get embarrassed so often that uh, they all run together. I don't know. Um, but for me, and I told this, I, I explained this on, on Sunday during those two services. Um, for me, it, I automatically pinpoint to this one time. I was a seventh grader in middle school, and I went to the Fremont Middle School. In the Fremont Middle School, we had a pool, and so they gave us the choice whether we wanted to take gym class or swim class. And for a seventh grade guy, swim class, in my opinion, sounded way better. I was like, I get to go to school and swim? Yeah, I'll do that one. And so I, uh, I was in swim class, and for some reason, I don't know why this was, is just how it was, um, there were four guys in my class, including me, and there's like 30 girls, okay? You'd think middle school girl, they wouldn't want to get their hair wet. You know, you'd think there'd be some things there, but it wasn't the case. There's four guys, there are 30 girls, and uh, one day, I, uh, during class, I jumped off the diving platform and into the water, and it must have been an awesome, super powerful, legit jump that I don't remember because of the events that happened immediately following this jump. Um, but it must have been awesome. And so I swam to the, to the ladder on the side of the pool, which was in the kind of back corner of the pool, and I started climbing up. Now, let me remind you, there's girls everywhere. They're all my age. They're all my peers. There are girls in my class, and uh, there's girls swimming around in the pool, there's girls waiting in line to jump into the pool. There's a set of bleachers right in front of me. There's a bunch of girls sitting on that. And there's girls walking around the pool. So if you get it, girls everywhere. Okay, middle school, seventh grade, girls. And so I climb out of the pool. It's a little more breezy than I uh, thought it should be. And I look down, and my swimming suit had, like, it was just gone, okay? It had, like, disintegrated. I don't know what happened. They must have poured some extra chemicals into the pool that day. Um, but... Uh, it like literally dissolved. There were some shreds. The band was there. The band was strong, but nothing else was basically there. And so as a middle school guy, this is like worst case scenario. I don't know what to do. And so I just fall back into the pool. And then I'm treading water and I'm like, I don't know what to do. And I don't, and, and people have already seen me and People are looking at me, and I don't know how much they could see through the water, and I'm just like, I'm so embarrassed. I don't know what to do. And so I'm like, I have to get out of here because, you know, I'm like a sitting duck here. And so I climb up the ladder. I gather every shred that I could possibly find that's still attached to this elastic band, and I pull it together, and I start walking to the teacher's desk. And so I'm walking to the teacher's desk. At that point, by the way, you don't even care about the back. Back doesn't matter, okay? Everybody's got one of those. Um, Everything's to the front, right? And so, yeah, I'm walking to the teacher. I remember I went up to the teacher's name was Mr. McNutt. He's still there, I believe. And I was like, Mr. McNutt, I got a problem. And he was like, yeah, you do have a problem. Get to the locker room. And I remember being in the locker room, and I'm so embarrassed. 
I'm like, there's girls everywhere. This is like worst case. I mean, think about it, guys. Seventh grade. It's like your most vulnerable time ever, okay? You, you know, a lot, lot of things happening in seventh grade. And, uh, and I was basically nude in front of my entire class of girls. So awful. Um, it's like worst case scenario. That's kind of what's going on here with Joseph, in a sense. This is like the worst case scenario for a guy his age in his society. It's terrible. It was so, so embarrassing. It was humiliating. Actually, the next week, um, I actually had two of those girls ask me out, and that's a true story. So I'm just saying, I don't know. But put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a second. Think about it. This girl that you um, have just married, you guys are newlyweds, you're not allowed to move in together. You're not allowed to touch her. You can't really spend time with her because not allowed in this society. This girl that you just spent months, if not years, working your butt off for so that you could pay her family's bride price for her. This girl that you've committed yourself to forever and likewise, she has committed herself to you and only you and nobody else is pregnant. It's humiliating. It's embarrassing. Joseph doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know what to do. Right? The only thing he knows for certain, I mean, honestly, is, is he knows that he's not the father, okay? He doesn't know why she would do this to him. Uh, and, and really, when we know that Joseph had to have confronted Mary. We don't have this recorder for us in the Bible, but you know it happened, right, because they're husband and wife. And so I'm sure when Joseph confronts Mary, Mary comes up with this elaborate story about how an angel showed up and told her she was going to become pregnant and how this was supernaturally pregnant, you know, all this stuff. And you know, Joseph's just like, you know, how dumb do you think I am? Really? And so Joseph being a pretty good guy, doesn't want to embarrass her. He doesn't want to shame her publicly or anything like that. And so he decides he's just going to divorce her quietly and be done with it and move on with his life. And by the way, in this culture, legally, he could have had her stoned to death because of this. This was a big deal. In verse 20, it says, but after he had considered these things, after he had considered um, divorcing her, it says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Basically, what she said is true. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, who we've talked about. Uh, see, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. And when Joseph, when he woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him, and he married her. But he didn't have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. I'm sure when the angel shows up, I'm sure there's... A big part of Joseph that I'm sure is relieved, right? Like, okay, all right, this is weird, but if it's true, she didn't cheat on me, she hasn't committed adultery, 
against me. You know, this, this is, I'm sure there's part of them that is relieved. But think about it. Imagine how awkward this would have still been. All right, everyone in the community, it's obvious that she's pregnant. It's not something you can hide. All right, I'm sure when she's out and about in the, in the community or in the marketplace or whatever, I'm sure there's people going, oh, man, Mary's pregnant. Did you hear that? Did you see that? She looks pregnant to me. You know, that kind of thing. I'm sure people are whispering and, and saying things like, you know, you know, I think I know who the father is. You know, I'm sure people are making guesses, and I can't believe she, she cheated on Joseph. Joseph, he's a pretty good guy. I can't believe Mary had this dark side to her. I never would have guessed. It's not like the angel goes around and tells their families. It's not like the angel goes and says, hey, Mary's mom and Mary's dad, guess what? This thing's supernatural. Don't worry about it. She didn't do anything wrong. It's all good. Does it go to their family and friends and say, hey, um, Mary didn't cheat on her husband. They didn't mess up. All right, they're still, they're still good here. All right, her reputation is shot. I mean, that's the honest truth. And then Joseph marries her anyway, which really would indicate to everybody there that, oh, that must mean the baby's his. That must mean that, oh, oh, that's not good. So both of their reputations are really destroyed. I don't think this is exactly how uh, Mary and Joseph, you know, dreamed of starting off their lives together, okay, with a baby like this. You know, Mary, she didn't get the storybook wedding that she had always dreamed of when she was just, you know, ever since she was just a little girl. And by the way, just because Mary lived 2,000 years ago, don't think for a second that her hopes and dreams were that much different than yours. You know, really, this story, it changes the way that we view ourselves, or at least it should. See, people today, we want Christmas without the message of Christmas, Right? We want to celebrate Christmas, but we don't want to think about the reason for Christmas. Right? We get distracted. But really, the message of Christmas it is centered around good news. That's the whole point. That's the whole message. I mean, that's what the angel has just told um, uh, Joseph. Angel's like, hey, this baby, this Savior, this is the one, by the way, that you've been waiting for, that your people have been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, this, this baby he is going to save you from your sins. Something no one else has ever been able to do before. I mean, that's the whole point. That's the reason why God came down to earth in this way. And I think we as Christians, even though a lot of us in here, we have a relationship with God and, and you know, we're always trying to get better and we're always trying to, to grow closer with God, I think a lot of us, we have the tendency to forget that. We have the tendency to forget about really the reason for the season. See, most of us... <clears throat> We like the idea of Jesus. It's a good idea. Right? We like how he entered the world. We like Christmas. We follow God, but we only really follow God when it's convenient for us, when it's easy. Right? We believe in God, but the honest truth is we only believe in the specific God that we create in our minds about how God should be. The honest truth is Jesus chose to come. Why? Because he knew every single one of us in here every single person who has ever lived besides Jesus, that we have a sin problem. And really, that's what makes the good news so good because we aren't so good. I don't think anybody knew this better than Joseph and Mary and their family. Um, I mean, think about it just for a second. Think about being Jesus' parents. Think about being either Joseph or Mary here. 
You're raising a perfect child, okay? Every time you ask them to do something, they do it right away. They don't wait. They do it right away, okay? Some of you guys are like, that sounds pretty good. Right? You never have to discipline him. He's always obedient. He doesn't, you know, get in trouble at all. You don't have to yell at him. All this stuff. That part's the good stuff. But think about the flip side of that. Every time you wake up with a bad attitude, you got Jesus standing over your shoulder. Right? Every time you get in an argument with your spouse, you got Jesus there. You're like, oh, yeah, you know. Every time you do something wrong, you have this perfect person that's in that household with you. I mean, that would really kind of, that would really show you where you're messed up at. See, Joseph and Mary, there's only really one story in the Bible that talks about Jesus when he was a, when he was a kid, and, and it happened to be when he was 12 years old. Joseph and Mary, they uh, traveled to Jerusalem to, um, to worship in the temple, and they get there, they're in, they're in a very big caravan, and, and they do their thing, and then they're leaving to go home, and they're taking this big, they're in this big caravan going home, and Joseph and Mary, they don't realize that Jesus isn't with them. Now, I haven't, uh, I've never left my, like, kids or anything at, uh, at a store, right? But Joseph and Mary, they left God behind, okay? Kind of a big deal, I feel like. Really messed up. But uh, they get a whole day away, and they get, you know, where they're going to stop for the night, and they, they're looking around, hey, where's Jesus? Hey, I thought you had Jesus. No, you had Jesus. And they're looking around, and they're like, oh, man, we left him. And so they have to travel all the way back to Jerusalem, so day two, and they get there, and they finally find Jesus day three in the temple, and he's actually teaching the religious leaders of that day, right? Which is crazy. I mean, these religious leaders, they can't believe it. They're asking Jesus questions and he is answering their questions. He seems to know more about God than they do. And so he is teaching them and they're discussing and these guys are blown away that this 12-year-old kid could answer questions like these. You ever think that might have happened at home once in a while? Right, where Jesus is like, oh, mom, that's not right. You know, oh, mom, you probably shouldn't do that. I don't think anybody knew how messed up they were, how messed up, how much messed up of a person they were than Joseph and Mary, because I think they were reminded about it every single day that they were sinners, just like us. Actually, I think Joseph is a really good example uh, for us. After that angel confronts him, uh, he believes and he obeys and he follows. And I don't think that was necessarily easy for him to do. See, this pregnancy changed everything for them. Their whole lives are really turned upside down. And uh, life would have been extremely difficult from this point on. And we know this because just a few months later in Luke chapter 2, this is the Christmas story that we, all, that we always hear about. It's, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. Basically, Israel is owned by Rome, and uh, when the Caesar of Rome says, hey, I want to take a census, everybody has to take a census. So this first registration, it took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth, where they were living, in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David. 
to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room, there was no guest room available for them. It's a Christmas story we've all heard. We hear these verses told every year. And so they're going to take the census, and Joseph, he's taking Mary with them, and she's about ready to give birth, and they know this, but this is what Caesar tells them to do, so they're doing it. And uh, they go back to their ancestral town, which happened to be, for Joseph, he was in the line of David, so he goes back to Bethlehem. And so they're in Bethlehem to register for the census, and the time comes where she has to give birth. And so they go to the stable. Um, there's no room for them because there's so many people for the census in town. There's, there's no guest room. And so they go to the stable, and it happens to be that's where she gives birth to Jesus. And then she lies him in a manger. And we think, ooh, cool manger, Christmas thing. That's not what a manger was. Manger was just a feeding trough. And she lies him in there because that's all they had. The way that Jesus came into the world, complete opposite of what the Jewish people pictured. Right? This is not how the King of Kings and how the Lord of Lords, this is not how the Savior, this Messiah, was supposed to enter the world. He should have been, he should have been living, or he should have been born in a palace to some you know, rich and famous person or maybe royalty. That's not what happens here. He's born to a couple poor young parents, and then he's born in a barn in the dirt. Really, this whole story, it changes, the way, it changes the way we understand ourselves, yes, but it also changes the way that we understand God. I mean, think about the word Emmanuel, okay? This is the word that, jo- that Isaiah tells us 750 years later, and that the angel just repeats back to Joseph. Think about what that means. God with us. God wanting, for some reason, to be with us. See, for some of you, I totally get it. Christmas time can be rough. Now, some of you, you don't look forward to Christmas time because, because it's a time of loneliness for you. It's depressing. Because at Christmas time, you're thinking about the things maybe you once had that you don't have anymore, or maybe it was someone who you spent Christmas with, but you can't spend them with them anymore. It just brings back the memories. See, I think for a lot of us, it is easy for us to forget about God. All right, it's easy to ignore the fact that Jesus was Emmanuel, that Jesus wants to be God with us, that he is with us. And that is good news. Actually, that's the same good news that the shepherds, or that the angels declared to the shepherds in Luke 2. It says, but the angel said to them, he's talking to the shepherds, and he says, don't be afraid, don't worry, don't freak out. All right, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The shepherds, or the angels are saying, hey, I got some really, really good news for you. It's gonna be awesome. By the way, did you notice or did you know that the original version was not called the Bible? It wasn't called the Bible, it was called the gospel, which just means good news. That's what it means, gospel, good news. All right, from the very beginning, from the epicenter of the action, when all this was taking place, this news was considered such good news for all the people, all right, 
that the disciples and Jesus, he rises from the dead. They're just they're like, I don't know, what should, we, what should we call this, okay? And so they actually name it Good News. They name this Good News, Good News, right? Not very original, but uh, it described it best. This message of Jesus, the claims of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, people wanted to believe it because it was just such great news for them. But as I look around today, it seems like so many people in this generation are leaning away from this message because somehow, some way, they've come to think that this message isn't good news for them anymore. That it's not good news. I don't know, maybe you've bumped into, maybe you've ran into, did business with, went to school with, all right, grew up with, or were raised by uh, people who, who carried the, a version of Christianity and a version of the good news. But for some reason, and let's be honest with ourselves, maybe we have a good reason, but maybe it's a bad reason. But for some reason, we determined along the way that, hey, this is not good news. Or you've determined on the way, along the way, hey, I don't want to live my life like this. But the original news, the original version, man, it was so good. It was good. Perhaps if Jesus' message doesn't strike you as, as good news, I don't know, maybe the, the version you grew up with or maybe the version that you're thinking about walking away from even to this day, maybe it wasn't or maybe it isn't the original version. See, the original version, the original version was so good. It was so good that people died for it. It was so good that people chose to risk their lives for it to tell people, to tell others about this good news that was good for them, this news that the Messiah, the Savior, was actually born. And he wasn't just born on that Christmas you know, night, but he, he grew up and he lived a perfect life. And, and when he was doing his public ministry on earth, I mean, crowds of people would just come around. Everybody wanted to hear what this Jesus guy had to say, and everybody wanted to see what this Jesus guy was going to do next because they knew it was good. And Jesus, he encouraged everybody, hey, you guys need to get right with God. It's not about doing a bunch of good stuff. He's saying you need to get right with your relationship with God. And then we, as people, we as, as human beings, we ended up putting him to death. And it wasn't even like an easy death. It was we put him to death on a cross, like one of the worst ways you could possibly go. Painful. A torturous way. But what's crazy about it is he died Willingly for us. Willingly. He's God. He could do whatever he wants. He could have, I'm out of here. He didn't do that. He died willingly for us because Jesus knew that we, every single one of us in here, including myself, that we have a sin problem. Because none of us are perfect. And the part we, we don't think about God is, is we, we always view God and we're like, oh yeah, he loves everybody and forgives, okay? We, we like that part of God. But the part we don't, think, we don't wanna think about God is, is the just part. We forget that God is 100% just and that is a problem for us because we are messed up people, right? God is 100% just and he has to punish sin. It is right for him to punish sin. That is the right thing for him to do. He's completely holy. 
He cannot be with sin. See, sin to God, sin is a very, very serious thing. We don't take sin that serious, though. You know, for us, it's like, well, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm a pretty good person. Right? Or, or, yeah, I've done some things, or I've made some mistakes. Okay, the whole mistakes, mistakes we view, by the way, mistakes are unintentional. We, we understand that. That's a mistake. See, we sin, we do the wrong thing, and a lot of times it's no accident. We do that on purpose. It's our choice. See, a lot of times I feel like we, we look at somebody, we're like, oh, well, she just made a few mistakes. But it's like, well, she's made a few mistakes like four times in a row, and that's not a mistake anymore. You know, she's, she's choosing to do that. See, we choose to make a mistake. When we choose to make a mistake, that's not a mistake. That's us choosing to do the wrong thing. See, Jesus, he punished himself instead of us for everything that we've ever done wrong. Why? So we don't have to pay it. I don't know why I did it. I don't understand it. It makes no sense to me. I just know that he loves us so much that that is the reason why I do it. I, he loves us so much, I don't even understand his love, okay? I can't, I can't fathom it. I can't get it. And every single person on this planet, every single one of us, we have the opportunity to have a real, like, deep relationship with God, our creator. And when we begin that relationship, the, the, Jesus is saying, hey, you don't have to pay for your sin. I'm going to take care of it, or I took care of it. This baby, this king, this savior who was born that first Christmas night, he took care of it for us. And that cost him something. I mean, he paid a huge price for you. I don't get what's not to like about that. I don't understand what's not to like about that good news. It is such good news that we can't even understand it. We don't have the capability to understand it. And all we have to do is we just have to start a relationship with him. We just, and to do that, we really just have to ask. We have to understand that, number one, that Jesus came and he died for us, pouring out his wrath on himself instead of us. We gotta believe that. And then number two, we have to surrender ourselves to him. That's the part we don't like to do. See, we don't like to surrender ourselves to Jesus. We, we'll surrender parts of ourselves, the easy parts. We're like, hey, yeah, God, um, yeah, you can have this part and this part and this part, but I'm holding on to this myself. This part of my life is mine. I'm holding on control. I'm not surrendering this to you. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not surrendering my full self to you. See, God doesn't want just part of us. He wants the whole thing. Right, he's got this awesome gift to give to us that we don't, have to, we don't have to pay for everything we've ever done wrong. Every single one of us, we're in the same boat because we're all messed up people. And we just have to ask. And so real quick, just because we have the opportunity to do this, we're almost done, but if, let's all close our eyes and bow our heads real quick. And we don't do this very often here. And, but I just want to give you the chance if, if you've never made yourself right with God, I just want to give you a moment to do that. Right, if you don't know 100%, if you've ever surrendered yourself 100% wholly to Jesus, there is no better time to do that than right now at this moment. Honest truth. God says all you have to do is, is talk to him. And it's not like you have to talk verbally. All right? He knows every thought. But it's just communicating this concept to him, something like this. If, if you don't know if you've done that, just pray along with me silently, but something like this. 
God, I realize I'm a sinner and I am messed up. I am not perfect. My good does not outweigh my bad. That's not how it works. Lord, you tell us that we are evil and that we need you. And God, I want to surrender myself fully to you. The only way I'm able to do that is because you came and you died for me. You paid the price that I deserve to pay. You paid it, so I don't have to. God, I want to give you my whole self, not part of myself. I want to give you my whole self. I want you in my life, tired of doing life on my own. And God, I love you and I thank you for dying for me. In Jesus' name, amen. It's not any, about any sort of magical set of words or anything like that. It's just about you making yourself right with God. So I don't know what your version of Christianity is. I don't know if you buy it, meaning that good news that God has, has given us. I don't know if you buy it because maybe it never sounded good to you. Maybe you never heard of the original it. Maybe you grew up with the wrong it. Maybe somebody around you in your life misused it, the good news. I don't know what your, ver- what your version of Christianity is, but all I do know is that the original version, man, it was good. It was good. And that's why, that's why Christmas changes everything for us. Let's pray. God, we love you. And God, you are so good to us. You've given us the best news that we could ever imagine, something we, we can't even really fully understand. That you came down born in the dirt. You came down to die for us, to pour out your punishment, to pour out your wrath on yourself instead of us. And that's not fair. That's not, that's not right. You didn't deserve that. But you did it because of your love for us. And we thank you for loving us. And we thank you for Christmas. And we thank you that we can come and we can all come together and grow in our relationship with you, Lord. We thank you for coming down and being born in the dirt for us. Lord, we love you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.